Welcome to The Randy Report. I'm Randy Slavacek, your host. I'm also the writer and editor of therandyreport.com, where you can find me every single day on the internet reporting on the daily news cycle in terms of politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community and its allies. As the COVID-19 pandemic shutdowns across the nation are slowly relaxing guidelines on a state-by-state basis regarding being out and about, I know many of us still have a lot of time on our hands at home. Entertainment via TV has become a new experience in recent years as many folks, like I, have fallen into the habit of binge-watching new recommendations on streaming sites like Hulu, Amazon, and Netflix. Some weeks ago, as we were heading into the shutdown, I interviewed Kevin Spiritus and Michael Slade, the creators of the acclaimed Amazon video series, After Forever. The show stars Kevin Spiritus of Days of Our Lives fame, as well as numerous Broadway and TV credits, as Brian, and Mitchell Anderson, who you know from Doogie Howser and Party of Five, as Jason. They play a 50-ish gay couple living in New York City who appear to have it all, until... Jason's untimely death forces Brian to think about his own future and ultimately his own mortality, without the love of his life, but aided by his circle of close-knit friends. The first season of the digital series was honored with eight Daytime Emmy Award nominations in 2019 and took home five, including Best Digital Series, Best Writing Team for a Digital Series, and Best Actor in a Digital Series for Kevin Spiritus, and more. Last week, the 2020 Daytime Emmy nominations were announced, and it was more good news for the After Forever crew. Five nominations this year, including, again, Best Digital Series and Best Writing Team for a Digital Series. So it's terrific timing to sit down and chat with cast member Jameson Stern about the journey and success of the show. Jameson is one of the busiest actors in New York City, having appeared on Broadway, off-Broadway, and just about every leading regional theater across the country. He starred in productions of the complete works of Shakespeare Abridged, Invention of Love, As Bees and Honey Drowned, Around the World in 80 Days, the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, Big River, Title of Show, and a pretty stellar production of Sweet Charity with Me in Oklahoma City, where he played all three leading men. Jameson recently won rave reviews for his tour de force turn in Fully Committed at TheaterWorks in Hartford, playing 33 characters on stage alone. One critic wrote, The production showcases an awesome star in Jameson Stern, who lights up the stage and fills the play with dozens of characters, even though he is completely and gloriously on his own. He also has one of the funniest Instagram accounts. During the run of a show, he'll become obsessed with new ways to include his followers in his theatrical journey, which has manifested in video clips of him dub-smashing every famous icon you've ever thought of in a 10-second clip from his dressing room. I initially wanted to chat with Jameson about After Forever, which he has been with from the beginning of development, but I've also wanted to talk about the realities of being a working actor. Not a star, although Jameson is a star in my eyes, but the artists you see in cities like Hartford, Connecticut, Atlanta, Georgia, Houston, Texas, Seattle, Washington, starring in gorgeous productions in those cities' regional theaters. The actors who bring theater to life for so many of us across the country. I won't give anything away, but I will say I've known Jameson personally for a long time. Wait for it. It's a funny story. We'll get to it. 
We worked together early on in his career and mine, and then again just some years ago. Sharing an artistic journey with Jameson can be an intoxicating experience, not only because he's so good, but his work elevates the work of those around him. He asks questions, and he's pretty fearless in rehearsals and on stage. No risk, no reward, as the saying goes. Well, Jameson either never had or he broke any pause button that might have been built into him. With him on stage, you get 100% commitment guaranteed. And then there's the offstage, where the material gets even more funny. One more thing before we get started with Jameson Stern. Usually, when I reach out to folks for interviews, we initially connect, do pleasantries, and then I begin recording the official interview. I'm leaving the first minute of my chat with Jameson in because as I reviewed it in putting this episode together, I felt like it set the tone for what you're about to hear. And so, with no further ado... Hello... Jameson Stern, as I live and breathe. Oh, my goodness. It's Randy Slavacek <laughs> calling to interview me for the world-famous Randy. Huckleberry, get out. Out of my room. I need a quiet space, Huckleberry. <laughs> you can't be trusted. <laughs> the ever-famous Huckleberry. I know. He is. He's a little more famous than me. He and my fish, ever more famous than I am. The fish. The fish. Have you seen my fish tank on social? I have. Who hasn't? And I don't. That's not a euphemism. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Look how long my pleco is. (laughs) How are you? I am recording this, by the way. (laughs) I figured. I figured. Wait, let me lower my my manly voice. Uh, It's impossible impossible for me to keep that up. (laughs) We'll sound like lumberjacks. Jameson Stern, as I live and breathe, how are you? I am great, Randy. Thank you. And thank you for having me on the show. And I'm a huge fan and a longtime friend. So thank you. Well, I have to say right up front, before we get to what I want to talk about, I, you, I do know that you listen to the Randy Report podcast, and I really appreciate it. And you actually made a big impact on it a couple of years ago. You, I started the I podcast. Did. Yes, yeah. you did. You sent me a message. I was I when I began the podcast, I was just reporting the news and that was what was on my mind and I would I would line up the the headlines of the week for listeners who know I do a news roundup every week, and I I try and do a mix of everything that I think is important that people should know so you can catch up on a quick podcast on LGBTQ news. It's like 60 minutes, only shorter. But you sent me a message after an episode a few months into the podcast, and you simply stated, oh, my God, everyone hates us. It's all dark out there. Yeah. And I learned a lesson from that. I didn't get defensive, and I thought, you know what? There is a lot of bad news, and I need to balance that out. And I learned to make sure that every episode has good and bad news because a big mission statement for me as the Randy Report was to accentuate the positive things that are out there. And so I learned a lesson from you early on, and I think it really helped the podcast to grow because I get a sense of from listeners of the balance of what yeah, it is. I mean, that there's I only so much we can take in and especially now, I mean, that was pre Trump, but mm. <laughs> you know, which is a whole other thing, Oy. but you know, well, let's talk about good things though, because first of all, your current project that everyone is talking about season two of the Emmy winning 
five-time Emmy winning. Yes. After Forever. Now, I know a bit about this. I've interviewed Kevin Spiritus and Michael Slade, who created the show. But tell me about how you came to the project, because I actually recently learned one detail that I did not know. It was very much a theater kind of a thing. You guys did like a staged reading or a yes. table read a year before it ever happened. So I've, I've known Michael Slade for a couple of decades. I auditioned for him for some play or musical he had written. And I, I don't think I got it, or maybe I did. And I decided, I think I got it and decided not to do it. But he lives like a block away from me. So for 20 years, I'd see him on the street and he'd be like, we've got to get coffee. And I would say, yes, we do. And that went on for 20 years. In the meantime, I met Kevin Spiritus and became friends with him. And I remember one day, actually, I, I had a little bit to do with a little bit to do with After Forever Happening because I was sitting with Kevin at a diner and he had sort of reached a crossroads. And I said, you know, I don't know why, you know, I said, I think you need to embrace being gay, like whole hog, and you should be one of the out 100 and all these things. And then I guess he ran into Michael at the gym and then they just, they, they have their story about how after forever came around, I get a call from one of them asking if I would do a staged reading of the first eight episodes. And I said, of course, and there was the roles of Paul number one and Paul number two, and somebody a little more famous than me was playing Paul number one. And we did this reading. I had fun. It, I actually got more laughs reading the stage directions in, 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 each, <laughs> in, each, in each episode one of the actors would read the stage directions. And I happened to have stage directions with a whole bunch of, you know, Jason leans over and goes down on, you know, <laughs> it was like, and everyone laughed. And I just picked up the script and pointed to the page like, no, that's what it says. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> Paged and at the so, stage. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I didn't make this shit up. So, we left and, you know, I, I, I went out with some people who know the business really well and said, you know, this is this is going to be too expensive. This is never going to happen. I was like, oh, well, all right, whatever, because, you know, and then a year almost to the date, they called me and said, it's totally happening. We have all the money. And who do you want to be? Paul number one or Paul number two? And I was like, uh, Paul number one, he has all the lines. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, now David Dean Petrello plays my husband will hear that and go, aha, this is how I ended up there. And it happened. We all just expected it to be this tiny little web series. And, you know, I, my friends were like, well, you'll have a little something for your reel, you know, you know, if nothing else. Because we thought, oh, YouTube or, you know, maybe just its own uh, streaming from its own website. Sure. Cut you, you know, it it ends up on Amazon, self-produced on Amazon, and, and then all of a sudden we're all sitting at the Emmys. So I have to jump in with that because I had interviewed Kevin right before it aired on Amazon. And I've known Kevin forever, it seems. And April I, 24th. Barbara April 24th. birthday. You just and my <laughs> dog Huckleberry's birthday. <laughs> so it's a very special day. I love... <laughs> Whose birthday? Barbara Streisand. Have oh, you heard of her? I've heard of her. She sings well. She, yeah, she, she used to do a lot of work in the 70s and 80s. <laughs> well, the thing is, I saw the, the series. I was thrilled. I had a good time with it. And then the next thing you know, 
all these Emmy and not just Emmy nominations, but but many nominations at at at, at different awards, uh, satellite awards, and independent series awards, independent yeah. series awards, yes. And I wasn't surprised by that at all. And of course, you know, listening to the Randy Report, I, I have a famously short attention span, and so I love web series. When when web series began, like. 8, 10, 12 years ago, I was thrilled because, you know, oh, I can watch TV and it's over in eight minutes and I can get up and go do something else and I'm not committed to this thing. Michael yeah. teases me all the time because, you know, he's like, let's watch a movie. I'm like, oh, it's a commitment. <laughs> <laughs> and so I it's, love <laughs> yeah, I love true. web series. So I love the show. And by now we can say, because we're in season two, it's not giving anything away, that it is about – a man in the middle of his life uh, after forever refers to the idea of moving past what happens after you thought you were going to be in love with your husband and live with him till the end of time. And then we've gotten to the end of time and he's gone and moving past that and his circle of friends in New York city. Ah, Paul, number one, you. Yes. Who thankfully brings the humor everywhere you go. And when I say everywhere you go, not just this series, but every show you do. And I mean that with love because we can count on you to do it. But I, okay. I really like the series. Well, I learned a lot reasons. from you. Well, so we can talk about that later. <laughs> we will get to that. Yes. Just so the listeners know, uh, Jameson and I, I've known Jameson since he was Jamie. So we'll get to that. <laughs> That's right. Before I got fancy. <laughs> Before you got fancy. But I love the series. I love that it is a Adults and by adults, I'm I'm not demeaning younger people, but but people in their 40s and 50s who happen to be gay, who are friends and supporting their friend, and how life unfolds after this thing. It's funny you should say that because when the when the fear, series first dropped, one of my favorite hashtags to put on my post was hashtag uh, grown adults playing grown adults. <laughs> yes, <laughs> because it's so rare. Right, it, it's true. So what happens is not only does it land on Amazon Prime so the world can find it. I mean, who doesn't have an Amazon Prime account at this point? Amazon comes to my house every single day. You know, if I run out of something, I'm not leaving the house. No, we order. I just ordered Wee Wee Pads just now, right? Right? <laughs> As you were calling, I hit the send button. <laughs> I mean, some of them are for my dog, but mostly it's just for me in the middle of the night. But there it is, and then the the Emmy nominations come out, and I'm thrilled for you. So I'm following you guys. I'm following, and you know they're they're streaming. Is it Friday night? Then Sunday? It's Friday night mm -hmm. that they do. It was Friday night and Sunday, and I was trying to live stream as much as possible. And you win four Emmys. Mm -hmm. The show wins four Emmys. Friday night, and I'm, and it's like for writing and for directing, and I I think Kevin even won best actor of the digital series. Kevin won series. best actor, and Aaron won best supporting. Yeah. Yes, and so we go to Sunday, and I'm like, well, I've got to watch this because these guys are going to win best digital series, and come to find out, you do. And you gave great face behind Michael Slade accepting you. Well, it's funny. I just I have an obsession with Sonny Hostin from The View, <laughs> and I started tweeting. We got the Emmy nomination saying, going to the Emmys, all I want to do is meet Sunny Hostin and hope you'll be there. And she, well, her person replied and said, you know, see you there, whatever. And then I did. We got to meet her before the Emmys. And then we're, <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. If you look back, back at the clips of Michael Slade giving this incredibly glorious, glorious speech. And there I am 
not even right behind him, but like next to him. And I'm <laughs> waving at Sonny Hostin and giving her the high five. <laughs> and everyone else is just focused on, you know, Michael giving this incredible speech about how he based this on his life and whatever. And I'm just like, Sonny, look at us, Sonny. And I saw the clip next day and I was mortified and immediately texted Michael and said, you please accept my apologies. <laughs> but I couldn't control myself. <laughs> I, I was laughing and screaming so hard in my living room. I was so thrilled for all of you. I know. Well, I knew you. I knew Kevin. I know other people in in the, the cast. And you all really seem like a family, like this like this thing bound you all together like a real New York family, which kind of happens in real life in New York anyway. It does. It does. It helped that most a lot of us knew each other. I brought a lot of friends onto the project. Peter Kim, Lenny Wolpe. Oh, the hideously I, I, ugly Jim Newman is in there in the film. Oh, yes, exactly. <laughs> who, He's a beast. Who I just adore. Yes. No, he and I've known Jim forever and 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 I actually I think I think the strange thing, I mean, obviously you make a family when you're doing a, a long run of a play or a musical, but I think what was fun about this is you are, for two or three weeks, you're together every day for these long days or these long nights, and you eat every meal together, and all the, all you do is sit around and tell stories, you know? Oh, and my goodness. And then you work for five minutes. Jameson unleashed. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, but everybody, Katie Huffman and Robert Emmett Lunny and all these people telling all these great stories. And then and then it ends and you don't see people for six months, a year. And then you start going to festivals together and then you start eating meals together and telling more stories together. And then all of a sudden you're a, you're a family again and then you don't see each other again. And then you're at an, and then you start starting shooting another season. And it's yeah, it's been it's been a gift. And actually, we were supposed to shoot seasons two and three together uh, when we shot two. I think I might have just given something away. but um, <laughs> No, it's been announced. They're, but, they're doing season okay. three. We know. <laughs> yes. We were excited because we were going to work for whatever. But uh, when they decided to put off shooting season three because of scheduling, I was so relieved because we get to spend more time together. As a uh, growing up as a theater actor, being on a set is a really exciting experience, especially when you're not an un, you know not just uh, an extra. God knows, I did my extra time in New York City uh, when I was still an actor, and oh. uh, you know the ironic thing about uh, for anyone who who hasn't done it, you know you you do extra work often to get weeks for your insurance with SAG or AFTRA or whatever it was. And and the irony would be I would work for 12 hours on a movie being in the background of something, and I would never end up seeing a single movie I did extra work on. And people would say, oh, what were you in? I'm like, nobody saw it, and I didn't see it, and nobody cares. But I got paid, and I got insurance. So Exactly. <laughs> Anything for insurance. That's right, honey. Now, listen, so... After Forever is awesome, and I'm really looking forward to season three with it. But I want to talk to you also about just being a working actor, period. Because a lot of focus in the world happens around the idea of celebrity and being a movie star, a TV star, uh, a YouTube star. But at the end of the day, the reality for me is I think happiness comes when you get to make a living doing what it is that you love to do. 
And I know for me, that was working as an actor for many, many years, and then I shifted into directing choreographing, and then this writing thing happened with the Randy Report, and here we are today. This is a whole thing that I never saw coming. I celebrate the idea of anyone who makes a living doing what it is that they love, because a lot of people don't love what they do for a living. And you are just this awesomely talented, wonderful actor that works for a living. And you're like the king of regional theater. You have appeared on Broadway. You have appeared off-Broadway. So many things that you've done. But there's this awesomeness about being a working actor, I think. Because you're the person that really has the skills. You're the person that really gets up and does the work. You're the person you, – you've worked at so many prominent regional theaters like Theater Works in Hartford. You've worked at the Alley Theater in Houston. You've worked out in California. So many regional theaters, and you've been doing plays like Complete Works of Shakespeare Bridge and Invention of Love and As Bees Drown in Honey Drown and Around the World in 80 Days, 25th Anniversary of Putnam's County Spelling Bee, title of show. You might have done an off-Broadway show called Choices many years ago, but we'll get to that. <laughs> but but it's, it's the reality of being a working actor that I think is so awesome because you're really doing it. You recently did, and I love this, you did a show called Appropriately Fully Committed. Yeah. <laughs> Which hasn't, it's irony. If you know, I just have to tell the listeners, if you know Jameson, and we did do a show called Choices almost 30 years ago together when he was still called Jamie fresh. He was still in at NYU, I believe. And, yeah. and the thing is no one does, I mean this in the best way possible, crazy better than you do because, <laughs> you know, I think brilliance, like in a Robin Williams way, like yes. you do Thank not you. filter, That's like you come to the table and you let go. It is just unfiltered and it's brilliant. And you recently were acclaimed for this performance of a play called Fully Committed at Theater Works in Hartford, starring Jameson Stern, this one-man show that has 33 characters. Yeah. And I didn't know that you had this long-running relationship with the show. Yeah, I, um, I was really fortunate enough that about six, I guess 17 years ago, Gregory Boyd, who was the artistic director at the Alley Theater, and I had already done about six shows there. I started, my first show there was Little Shop of Horrors, because I mostly was a musical theater performer. And they only do one musical every umpteen years, and this one was actually supposed to be the Broadway revival. The whole thing happened, whatever. But, you know, I auditioned and got this job as Seymour in Little Shop of Horrors. And up till then, it was, I mean, I think it was, for me, it felt like the biggest thing that had ever happened especially that show. And then Greg just graciously kept bringing me back to do play after play after play. And I actually just recently saw him. And I, I mean, I owe, he's like a dad to me. And I owe the trajectory of my career to him because musical theater actors, un, you know, uh, unfortunately, so there's sort of this, this prejudice against them doing And you straight. don't get to do plays. Yeah. No. And so, you know, my resume and my career just turned into being an actor in plays for such a long time that now, ironically, like, I have a hard time getting into the <laughs> scene for the big musicals. And people um, don't know you sing, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Which, and by the way, so, I should tell the listeners, Jamie has this awesome, gorgeous, huge voice. loud as my friend as my friend lucas Steele says your voice is so forward it's tomorrow (laughs) which is my favorite line ever 
Greg, I was I was away in Utah doing ragtime, and I get a message from Greg saying, uh, "Do you want to do Fully Committed?" And you can pick your director. And I was like, "Wow, this is my life now." And so I did it there, and then Tom McCoy, and it was an incredible experience, mind blowing. And then Tom McCoy of Who I adore. Kathy Rigby's husband saw it and then like almost a year later booked it for his theater for La Mirada which was a very different experience because that's 1300 seats and that was it you know and and 16 17 years went by I was looking for a project to do with my friend and director Bill Fennelly because he's from Hartford and we wanted to do something at Hartford Theater Works where I had just done Georgia McBride and I love Rob Ruggiero the artistic director there and so I kept pitching Fully Committed, and they only like to do new works. And then I was out to dinner with Bill and his husband, Jason, and I was like, I just wish he'd budge on Fully Committed. And then I was like, wait, but it was had just been on Broadway with Jesse Tyler Ferguson. So from the dinner table, I texted Rob, and I was like, well, you know, it was just on Broadway, and they rewrote it. And he said, all right, let, let's get the script. And literally, I think not even 24 hours later, it was a done deal. You know, what's awesome about that, and this is a really good point that underscores why I wanted to talk about these things, is as a working actor, sometimes you have to create your own opportunities. You can't yeah. just audition, go home, and wait for the phone to ring. No. And so the fact you can't, that you and I wish pursued you could. <laughs> this, that, you know, it really is, you know, back in the day, you know, when I was younger and I was acting in New York, I kept thinking, oh, my work will speak for me. Oh, I have to, no, 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 Randy, no. As Billy Porter says, um, you've got to love a do it yourself bitch. You have got. <laughs> That's one I haven't heard. <laughs> you know, and I've you, heard a lot from Billy. <laughs> you know, you, you've got to make these things happen for yourself. So the fact that not only did you you have a relationship with this theater, but you stayed in touch with the artistic director and you had this idea. And then you said, well, you know, and they had rewritten it, kind of giving you a little bit of a leeway to make that pitch. And you, and you made it happen. And by the way, I, I was reading the reviews of the production, and I'm just going to quote one of the reviews that said, the production showcases an awesome star in Jameson Stern who lights up the stage and fills the play with dozens of characters, even though he is completely and gloriously on his own. I slept with him for that one. But, <laughs> <laughs> but how awesome to be able to do that. I mean, that, that you're doing these, it's, this kind of work. It's the That play in particular is one of the greatest experiences ever, as long as you can learn it and get through it and have the energy for it. Because, And I, I don't mean this sarcastically, but it is sarcastic. As a comedian, there is no greater joy than to have the privilege of setting up your own jokes. <laughs> and I know you understand what I'm saying, because, because no one... You you don't have to worry about anybody. Am I am I allowed to speak freely? Fuck yeah. Fucking it up. Yeah. <laughs> no one allowed. No one else can fuck it up. And and if there's anyone listening who's an actor and they know that, you know, if someone is setting you up for your big joke in the play and they're like, <laughs> you're like, well, okay, great. And thanks. you know, yeah, thanks for that. Thanks for lobbing that one over the net. And. So, you know, and but of course, the the uh, the opposite side to that is that, you know, there's no one to blame 
but you. And there were plenty of rehearsals where I would just look up from that table and look over at the production table and go, why did I, this is all my idea. You're all (laughs) here because this is my idea. And this was the worst idea I've ever had. But it turned out so good that now Bill and I are really hoping to bring it to as many of the big regional theaters as we can for next season. Well, I think it's a no-brainer because you've you've got your production down. You've got your director. I mean, just drop this into a slot in someone's schedule. Yeah. yeah. Hello, it's, regional it's theaters. for the theater. It's a single set. It's one actor. And, and you know, it's that an, you have it's to pay an a audience lot. pleaser. You have to pay the actor a lot. We should. A lot. A lot. Oh, my God. So much. So much. <laughs> so much. Well, because, you know, those theater salaries through the roof. <laughs> Actually, I will say, um, TheaterWorks Hartford, was extremely generous. Uh, Rob, who also directed me in Lacage at Goodspeed, it was really some of the, it was kind of the most money I'd ever made doing theater. And since you're there all alone and there's nothing to do, I basically spent it all shopping. <laughs> but I have a great wardrobe now and <laughs> lots of toiletries and, you know, fabulous dog beds. Well, you remind me when you mentioned Lacage, which by the way, I, you on social media is just a treat. It, it, it's its own show unto itself. I Thank remember. You. Please you, follow me, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you were doing Lacage, I want to say, and you fell into a dub smash phase. I fell into a dub smash K hole. Remember K? Yeah. Um. <laughs> and just every day, as you're you're getting, was it Lacage that you? Because yeah. you're always it was in drag. during Lacage at good speed, and then I picked it up again during Little Shop at Portland Center Stage, and another fucking you would incredible theater. Deliver these yeah. awesome, just off the top dub smash video. And can you explain what dub smash is for people? Sure. Who may so not dub know smash, dub smash, which is is sort of basically now what TikTok has become. Dub smash are ten seconds or shorter lip sync videos, and there's thousands of clips thousands hundreds of thousands of clips on the on the app but you can also create your own and so i started with just doing using my own wigs and my own costumes and lacage and i i think my very first one actually was just me and my red wig singing tomorrow from annie with andrew mccardle and because i am friends with her i thought well this is cool and i posted it and then i i I was addicted. It was like I would get this high and I would start going from dressing room to dressing room and (laughs) very politely saying, can I borrow this wig? Which is not really totally legal in the theater. You know, you got to leave other people's wigs alone. But if you get permission, whatever. And I just every day and then I would go back to my apartment at night and record clips so I could do my own, so I could do like Elaine Stritch and I wanted to do my friend Randy Graff and I wanted to do... and. It became literally mi- like almost missing entrances. Like John Ricucci, <laughs> the dresser, would be like, yeah, and he talks like this, and he's like, you got to put that down. Put that phone down. Put that phone. Did you pee? Did you drink? Did you drink your diet coke? You got to get on stage. Put that phone down. And he's in the back of many. Well, actually, I guess he talks like me. He was in the <laughs> back of many of those videos. There's a great Judy Garland one of many Judy Garland ones where he's just you know hanging up my costumes and just rolling his eyes. Because, of course, he doesn't doesn't understand social media at all. 
And then when I got to Portland Central Stage to play the dentist in Little Shop, you know, Zaza, the dentist, it's, you know. It's all the same thing. Typecasting. Mm -hmm. I had a wig designer there who got so inspired by my dub smashes. Every day I'd come in and she would design me a new (laughs) wig for a new character. So she's like, I'm working on your Miranda Priestly. And then I thought, I've got this braided red wig, maybe something from Lord of the Rings. And I was like, sold. You're my favorite person now in the world. You're feeding my... Yeah, you are just it's like a one man show in and of itself on Instagram. Yes. And it's all still there. So everyone can enjoy it for years to come. Well, you know, mentioning social media, do you think because people try and utilize it as best as possible? And back in the 2008 election, Barack Obama started utilizing texting ooh ah, to get his people to do stuff. And then in the last election, you know, Donald Trump uh, started Who? utilizing, yeah, him. Who? Yeah. Uh, started utilizing Twitter. Well, the thing is, social media has become this thing that can be a great tool if we use it properly. How do you feel, for instance, like with social media? Do you feel like it's been a big help to you with yeah. with your career? I have so much. Not I have. I have definitely things to say about this. I feel like. So you, you graciously used, and my own term, I, I call myself the king of regional theater. And, and you are. And and I am. Thank you. And I am actually trying to pull back a little because I just want to live at home. I'm reaching a certain age, and I want to work in New York, and I want to do more TV and film. Although, frankly, I would just be happy to be a, a Broadway regular name. It, it's so true. And get, I'm going to jump in real quick and just say the same thing. Back in the day, when you and I met back in the day, I was the king of the national touring companies. And all I wanted was to just, it was great, but I just wanted to stay at home and live in my apartment and be on Broadway. Not for Broadway for my ego. I just wanted to live at home and make a paycheck. So I totally yeah. understand that. There's nothing wrong with working in regional theaters. Great work happens there. No. But you, wouldn't it be well, nice I mean, to just I, live at home? Yes, it would. You know, I've lived in my apartment for 25 years, and I still haven't really <laughs> hung things on the walls. And I'm not kidding. But let's get to social media. Tell me what you have okay, to say. Okay, so social media. So uh, I've no, I'm no shame in saying I have a very fancy re- resume of only principal roles because I work in regional theater. But before Facebook, regional theater for me felt like if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, does it make a sound? I remember doing Shakespeare abridged in Cincinnati and people saying to me, Oh my God, if people in New York saw this, you would be a star. You know, people say that kind of thing. And I kind of didn't disagree with them. You know, I mean, you'd have to have somewhat of a healthy ego to do this or you'd lose your mind. But, but then you know, Facebook started to happen and it changed the game. I would walk into auditions and people would say, oh, I saw you were doing this. Or for a good year after Lacage, it was, oh, my God, your dub smashes. You know, <laughs> and my agent was like, can you please stop? <laughs> it totally changed the game, I think, for everyone. But I can only speak for myself. You know, people always knew that you were working as opposed to there wasn't an article about you on Playbill that you were, you know, going into the role of whatever in Chicago, then no one knew you were a working actor except your friends. And then Instagram and Twitter made it even more fun to just give slice of life into your life. So that's not only fun for your friends who are actors and can watch what you're doing when you're out of town, but it's fun for total strangers in the middle of the country. 
you know, it, you might, some might say it's a good thing or a bad thing, but it has also become somewhat important in casting, certainly more important in film and TV. I've sat in enough rooms, you know, in casting sessions to know that someone with 8,000 followers yep. might not get the role over someone with 80,000 followers. It's true. I've heard that many times. You know, shameless in all honesty. Well, I, one of the reasons I was so thrilled to do your podcast is you have an incredibly loyal audience. So I, I do hope that that helps me a little bit because <laughs> well, thank you. no, it's, it's hard. Twitter, Twitter's really hard to get followers and Twitter's, Twitter's a lot. You know, I think Twitter has also changed a lot, but Instagram, you know, it's fun to put things on Instagram and get an immediate response. I think it's a dream for people who have a hundred or a couple hundred thousand followers and can just, you can make someone's day. And you can, everything becomes a little more universal and everyone becomes a little more, ironically, a little more normal. You know, if you can watch some 40 something gay man, you know, feeding his dog arugula, which is what I do, uh, maybe someone in Idaho will think twice about voting for Pete Buttigieg, you know? I mean, his dog does not eat arugula, so it's a whole other thing. <laughs> One of the things that social media kind of replaces is casting people can get to know you a little bit through your Instagram. Because what casting has become That's in many ways— That's a double-edged sword. Right. Sorry Absolutely. Because you. No, it's true. Because people may think this is who you are, this is all you are, especially when it comes to TV and film. I find—and now that I'm out of the industry, I can totally speak freely. I think casting people don't have very much imagination for the most part. They're brilliant casting Correct. people. Thank you, Jay Bender. But— Oh, my God. Who, my Jay God was, I love the Matt man. The, uh, I love was, that man. He was very, very kind to me. As, but, but for the most part, me so too. many casting people, in my experience, I'll qualify it, are not very creative. And so you have social media now. But one of the things that, that has come out over the past 10 years because of smartphones is there's this self-tape auditions thing, right? Mm-hmm. So for TV and film especially – you know, your agent will send you sides in, in case people listening don't know. Instead of going in for auditions and, you know, getting on the subway, going down, sitting there for an hour, waiting for your appointment, walking in, reading sides and waiting to hear if you got a job or something, you now can just put your cell phone on a tripod or something you buy for mm-hmm. nine ninety nine that popped up on Instagram. And uh, exactly. you, you, you get the sides and you read them and it's called a self-tape audition and you send it in. And this is how a lot of things get cast these days. What do you think about all of that? How do you, I know you must do a lot of it. I do it. I do a lot of it. It's become, it's become great. And it's also like the bane of every actor's existence. So everyone needs to have a a spot in their apartment, either with a bank wall or you, or you buy a backdrop. Everyone needs to have lights now. You know, thank God it's all pretty reasonable. And again, you get it all on Amazon. Mm Mm-hmm. But the, the the difficult part is then you also have to have friends who are willing to pop over to your apartment for 45 minutes and read the other three lines. Although I have friends who have found some brilliant ways around that by using two devices. And you can actually like I just helped my friend the other day. I was in my own home reading the other lines into my phone and somehow – it looks exactly like there's someone's doing it with her. It's pretty amazing. I love um, actors. <laughs> yeah. Well, you get, you get, you know, you get, you got to get resourceful when you, mm-hmm. when you don't have a choice. Yeah. 
So here's the great part of it is you have total control over what the casting director sees. If you screw up, if you do it a bunch of times and then you realize, oh, my God, it would have been so much funnier if I did it this way. Right. Then you do it again. Where it's not great is that someone like me with a allegedly big personality yes. doesn't doesn't get to show that to the live people. in person in the space. Right. Just the fun, the fun you can have with casting people before and after action and cut, you know, and, and, and it's become pretty common in, in musical theater, too, where you have to put your or plays. You have to put yourself on tape you know, singing. And that becomes a whole thing of, well, now I need to find a studio and get a piano player. But I actually years ago started, realized the smartest thing to do is just find the karaoke versions of the songs Yes, that you want to do. And, and you do them that way. It, that is, that's how it's going. And, you know, and re, it makes sense really, because in TV and film, all you're really doing is showing up at someone's office. They're not really even in charge and they're they put putting you on, you tape, on there. tape. Yeah. So, you know, you get the advantage of their direction and their adjustments, but it's really the same thing. I'm always fascinated by listening. Uh, I sound like Carol Channing. What, uh, uh, yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always You taught fasc- me how to do that. One. <laughs> oh, and wait. Okay. Well, well no, go ahead. No, no. I, I, I want to talk about you teaching me a Gwen Burden impression and then it wasn't until <laughs> Fossey Burden where I discovered it really fucking happened. Okay, so but we'll get to that. Well, let's talk about that talk now. About I'm good. Let, let's let's go to that because yes, you know, I I was fortunate to w- work with Carol and and all of that. Did you love the Fossey Burden series? I loved it so much. I I'm like, how can we do a sequel? Can he come back to life? Right. I mean, it it, it it was incredible. It was special. She was is like, I mean, yes. And for her, I mean, I, I would love to talk to her and find out what she really. I mean, I'm sure, like everybody, like uh, like many famous movie stars, she probably grew up doing theater in high school, and so she probably maybe knew who she was. But she had a grasp of that woman that was, yes. and you know her. But you taught me a very brilliantly hysterical and slightly off color impression <laughs> of Gwen Verdon, which I'll let you do. Oh no. No. <laughs> I I forgot this. Yes. yes. So this is I was twenty one and Randy was nineteen. Let's go there. <laughs> we'll go with that. Not. And we were in rehearsals for one of the weirdest most horrible, weirdest, strangest things, musicals. That was George Orwell's 1984 meets Somewhere Over the Rain, meets uh, Wizard of Oz, starring Natalie Portman. Mm. Well, not starring, yes, actually, yes. with a Natalie much smaller Portman part was than in any it. of us. <laughs> yes, Natalie Portman and our dear friend, uh, Gerald McCulloch, who yes. is in the Bear City movies, and and our friend, Andrea Bianchi. But oh, you would walk around doing this Gwen Verdon impression going, Bob, <laughs> Bob. <laughs> Get up, Bob. <laughs> Bob. And okay. And my favorite part of it was the gasp on the third Bob where you realized that Bob was gone. And and so I just assumed this was something you made up. And I just assumed that maybe, you know, it was Bob dying in a rehearsal studio in the middle of a dance number or whatever. But it comes to the final episode of Fosse Verdon, and there is Michelle Williams kneeling. 
yelling on the street in front of a giant Broadway theater going, Bob, get up. Get up, Bob. And I had to press pause, scream my guts out, and I'm pretty sure immediately text you. Because all this time it was based on what really happened yes that's exactly what it was i used to do i used to do that just to to break tension in in situations and stuff and people who knew unfortunately for those who may not know the great legendary broadway choreographer and director bob fossey died in front of the national theater in washington dc shortly before the the opening night of his national tour of Sweet Charity starring Donna McKechnie. And if you watch the Fosse Verdon miniseries, they literally bring that moment Recreate. to life with her, with Michelle Williams as Gwen Verdon over Sam Rockwell's Bob Fosse. And he's having a heart attack, and sadly, he dies. He's a, he was one of our great geniuses. But she's saying, Bob, get up. Bob and he passes away and I used to do this and it was I didn't mean to be disrespectful but it would get a laugh and Jamie knows as much as I do I like getting the laugh and so, oh, so it is funny matter. I had never thought about the idea of you actually seeing that and realizing oh he's really telling that was real that's, that's what it was because I still do that impression all the time and people you know there's 19 year olds in rehearsals who have no idea what's going on no idea and then there's people our age who just go oh and then exactly. <laughs> I should flesh things out here by saying that Jameson, when he was Jamie, uh, still at NYU, and I and Andrea Bianchi were hired as these supporting actors in a new musical called Choices that made its debut in the early 90s. I blocked out the date. And uh, <laughs> and with our friend Gerald McCullough, who was the lead, who was awesome. But, but the musical was not very good. But the funny thing about it is, and you talk about, this is to bring Circle around to, to completion, the family that you create when you work as a created person. To this day, Jamie and I and Andrea can get on the phone and laugh ourselves silly. What oh happened God. with Choices was we were these three kind of sidekicks. We were like the funny trio. And they didn't really – the show was not well-written. It wasn't well-directed, but we had really talented people in it. And they would send Jameson, Jamie, and Andrea and I into a rehearsal room down the hallway to come up with, I don't know, what, it, what material or whatever it was. or They just let us go Stick, work. Basically. Stick, basically. Yeah. There you go. And what would happen was I have to give <laughs> full credit. Andrea and Jameson are two of the most – technically funny comedians I've ever met in my life. And so we would just be left alone to our own devices and we would just be howling. We were literally, I'm not kidding you at all, we were on the floor on our hands and knees laughing so hard at each other at the stick we were coming up with. And it was like they forgot we were down in the rehearsal room. And this would go on and on. And then we'd come back, they'd bring us back to rehearsals and we would like show the director what we'd come up with and he'd cut it and we're like but it's funny Th that's where one of my favorite lines came from was yes. andrea bianchi would just andrea say bianchi. it's funny it's what i do <laughs> that's right and 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 if i may the, we we one of our first times having an audience 
and I don't even remember why we were tying. We had to tie someone up on stage, yes. and and I, they were the bad guy, and we were like, we, we could blow them up, we could poison them, we could do anything, you know. And and Andrea's line was, we we, we could tie them up, or I, I don't even remember. And she just sort of downplayed the whole thing and was like, we could just tie her up. <laughs> and you and I, so in front of an audience, laugh so hard. So that the hard. Play stopped. The play stopped. And then afterwards, I was like, where did that come from? <laughs> and she's like, I'm a cash actress. I needed an audience. <laughs> Just like that. At one point, I, and I don't mean to take credit for this, but we were in a performance and uh, one of the heroes gets shot. I'm not spoiling it for anyone because no one will ever see this play. Could <laughs> <Did> you imagine? <laughs> but... Spoiler alert. <laughs> I've spoiled it. But... Soho Theater. <laughs> but the, the lead character gets shot and there's this 11 o'clock number, which our leading lady delivered beautifully. But we're standing there and the whole thing was just so incredibly... Earnest. Just, just earnest. And I remember we're watching and under my breath, and this is terrible of me. This is terrible. I admit it is terrible. I'm standing next to Jameson and Andrea, and I said, it's so sad. <laughs> <laughs> and we both, all three of us, became unhinged. It was terrible. It was terrible. Uh, if you are in theater, do not do what I just said I did. No, but but, just but do when it. you're when you're surviving a bad theater, because you know what we joked about at the time. This is part of the reason why I want to tell this story is when you're a working actor in New York, you almost don't get to own your resume if you haven't done a bad off Broadway or off off Broadway no, show. Yeah, you absolutely. really don't get to own your resume, and so we did ours. <laughs> I have more friends from the bad shows than from the good shows. But, you know, and Gerald McCulloch, he was in my apartment two nights ago for a movie night. So that's, you know, when you talk about creating a family. Yes. Years later, so I'm hired to choreograph Sweet Charity at Lyric Theater in Oklahoma City. And they say to me, well, we have someone for the lead, but we actually want to hire him to play all three of the male leads. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, Okay. And they said, his name is Jameson Stern. I'm like, oh, okay. Sign me <laughs> up. <laughs> and so this is like years later. I forget. What is it, like 10 years ago? Like, this, was on, this was only about seven or eight Seven or eight years ago. ago. Oh, yeah, because... It was right before Billy did... Uh, the Kinky, Kinky Boots. Yeah. Because when they also called me, they said for the role of Daddy Brubeck, who has one scene, one drop-dead number, uh, Rhythm of Life, we're thinking about hiring Billy Porter. Do you know him? And of course, I've known Billy forever. We've known Billy forever. And so I'm like, you get Billy Porter down here to Oklahoma City, and I will be more than happy to. So there we were playing in Oklahoma City. And this is another thing about being the working actor thing is you, you know, years later, you find yourself in this in a theater on the other side of the country working with people you just admire and yeah, I have to say that was and, one and of the Broadway, best experiences. And, yeah, and Broadway TV star Milena Govich, who yes. is now one of the major and only female television directors in New York, because she's just moved here to New York. Yes. Um, I know. I, I'm, I'm going to take her to coffee and get myself a job. That's right, honey. <laughs> uh, but there we all are. And, you know, it, it's so funny because I loved that experience because – 
people think about Broadway as where the work happens, but there we are in Oklahoma City and so many things. I remember one day, because you and I are such students of comedy, Mm. And there was a moment when you were Vittorio comes with the kiss and handing something off in the closet to charity and it wasn't working. And you said, can you help me with that? So you and I go into a room and we spent like 25 minutes and we again, we start laughing at each other because part of comedy is just letting go and not filtering anything. You just have to let it happen. Yeah. And we're making each other laugh and it, but it, 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 it becomes the science of comedy and the kiss and the the one two three the rhythm and the this and the that and and it's, I'm it's playing the charity yeah it's mathematical in many ways and it was one of those things where I went home after that moment where and we worked it out and of course you got the laugh and you know I famously back then would say get the laugh that's the thrilling part of working in theater with people who really are artists and I don't mean to just you know blow smoke up your ass because we're not on well. a date but. <laughs> but it's it's thrilling to work with people who get it, and we, we did that work knowing when it worked and when it didn't. The other thing that happened in, during that was, as you mentioned, Billy Porter had just come off the Chicago workshop production thing of Kinky Boots. It was heading to Broadway. We were thrilled that he was there. I'd known him for so many years. I had to come up with Rhythm of Life. And I remember I just felt pressure to come up sure. with – something good for my friend. It was, it was the fact that... Well, my, that was a pretty fancy cast with all your friends. Oh, I so, mean, yeah. my, my goodness. And Cap Murphy. Mm-hmm. And Vanita Harbour, yeah. Yes, Vanita Harbour, who I adore. And I remember thinking, I've got to deliver. And I remember Billy shows up. We'd been in rehearsals for a week, and because he only had the one scene and one, one song, they didn't bring him in for the first week. But he arrives. I rehearse with him first to teach him his moves. He is ready. He's got his Fosse stuff down. He is ready to go. And he has the monologue after the number, and he delivers this monologue like this Southern Baptist minister. So incredibly brilliant. Like, it's just going. It's like unfiltered. Again, like, one of the great things about the, the regional theater landscape is they give you the chance to try things mm -hmm. and Billy did this thing and you could see on the faces of the young ensemble like they had never seen like in college nobody does anything this raw no and and on Broadway you know there's millions of dollars at stake on Broadway so there's only so many risks you can take unless you're Terrence McNally that's you know? right and there was Billy Porter delivering this just unfiltered unhinged version of this brilliant monologue and they didn't know what to do and when he finished i remember turning to the cast going just so you know that is how you approach theater because you do want to be fearless you do want to take risks you do want to do when i was in college i kept my biggest flaw was i kept trying to get an a mm -hmm. i kept trying to be perfect yeah there is no perfect there is no getting an a I'll tell you a very quick sort of story. I don't, I don't take a lot of classes, and I think uh, that's because I grew up going uh, to Stage Door Manor, so I learned a lot when I was a kid. My friend Dave Clemens, who had been an actor and, and a, then became a very successful casting director after that, was teaching, a, you know, auditioning for musical theater class. I was like, I'm going to take this class. And the very first day, he said, what are people looking to get out of this class? And I said... I'm looking for a place where I can suck. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, in the material. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's plenty of... <laughs> Let's just clear that up. I can do the rest for free. But, um, and I am single, so please, again, follow me on social media. But um, I didn't want to go to a class taught by the most important casting directors are the most important directors in the world where it's where it's performance oriented where it's everything is about the end result i wanted to study where i didn't have to be afraid about taking a risk and it not being a good one and you can't you know you can't you can't produce brilliance without first some you know piles of poop absolutely Absolutely. You know, my comes right I, back to the wee wee pads I ordered. <laughs> I I'll really quickly share my own version of that is, you know, I used to always be afraid. I wanted to be perfect. I wanted to be the perfect little boy as an actor. I wanted to get an A. And one of the best things that ever happened to me was I was supervising a production of a chorus line in Lake Tahoe. And I was covering like five roles and I was the dance captain. I was swinging everything, blah, blah, blah. But I was in charge. And, and I, it was uh, directed by the great Chet Walker, who I adore, and he trusted me. And so about a week into the run, the actor playing Bobby, who has the long, funny monologue, you know what's coming next, mm-hmm. um, yeah. he choked on his gum in the gym while on the treadmill or something, and he passed out, and he had to, like, take the night off. And the understudy had not been... <laughs> okay, that's the best story ever. <laughs> he... He, and so the understudy hadn't been rehearsed yet. We'd just been open a week. And so the production stage manager looks at me and he goes, what are we going to do? And I knew the monologue. And I, I always thought one day I'm going to grow up to – I'd done a course line a lot. And I thought one day I'm going to grow up to be a Bobby. So I said, well, I know it. And so I go on as Bobby. And the reason I tell this story, though, is I went on with no fear because I knew – there was no one in the back of the house judging me. There was no dance captain. There was no assistant director. There was no – we the show just had to go on, and I just had to do his monologue. So I go out there with no fear, yeah. and I shamelessly steal from every great Bobby that I've ever seen in my life. I had like 20 minutes before the show began to even – put this into my head and I go out there and the idea as an actor of having no fear, no one's going to like come up to me after the show and go with pages of notes. No one's going to come up to me and say, what were you thinking? I went out there with the best of intentions to do the best job I could in the character that I was in. And honestly, that was all it was. And, and and saving the day. I mean, of well, the handful of time, the hand. Well, and the, but the handful of times that I've been an understudy, I have never not gone on unexpectedly. In other words, without the right amount of right. No one, no one ever has that. I mean, I did it on Broadway, and all of a sudden, I, you know, there was like one person was out, and then another person was out, and I got a call in between shows that I was on for one of the leads, and we hadn't rehearsed that track yet. And I just did it, and it, and I knew the exact same thing. No one was there to judge me. Everyone was just there to cheer me on, which That's is really right. the best way to go on in that situation. It is, and, and it's not always what happens. You know, sometimes no, not at all. you go on, you know, I was the standby for the original six actors in the original off-Broadway run of Pageant. Right, and I, I know you had a similar situation like this. You recently were the standby for the three male leads in Daniel's Husband off Broadway, mm-hmm. and it's a lot. 
It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> it's I don't know so about much. you. Nobody on the streets of New York would ever approach me. I was so safe because all I did was walk down the street repeating all of my lines. Exactly. I looked insane. But when I went on, no one rehearsed me, by the way. They hired me. They knew I was going on for David Drake, who was brilliant as Miss Deep South, in two weeks because it was in his contract. And so the, the choreographer taught me his track, and the stage manager said, you know, I really don't know the songs and dances, and I've got a job rehearsing with Liza Minnelli at Radio City during the day. So do you mind if I just show you how to turn on the lights and you can rehearse yourself? <laughs> this is literally what happened. And so I would go into the theater, and you know as well as I do, yeah, at, at the end of the day, when you go on stage, it's you. The audience isn't going to go, oh, look at that poor actor. They didn't rehearse him. They're just going to say he sucked. Exactly. So every day I would go into the theater at 3 o'clock, and I, would, I knew how to turn on the lights. She showed me that much. And I would rehearse myself in different tracks every single day. Literally 90% of the show are these six roles of this drag yeah. beauty show. But you have to do it for yourself, and it can be overwhelming. And sometimes, sometimes you go out there and you have the complete support of everyone, and it's wonderful. And I, the reason I tell this story, though, is you know, at the end of the show, the director came back and he said, "Well, you know, it was good. You basically did, you know, David's performance." And I remember thinking, "Well, see, nobody rehearsed me." to encourage me to find something new. And I didn't think it was fair to go out and just throw the other actors a curve. Your, your primary role as an understudy, as an understudy is to fill the hole. Yeah. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and you can laugh at that. <laughs> but it, it's to be a no, temporary it's absolutely, replacement. Absolutely. And it's not your job to reinvent the wheel. And when you don't have a, 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 someone to encourage you to, well, let's explore something new. You have permission to do something new. If I had gone out and done something completely different, it would not have been fair to those other actors. No, and so, you would have gotten a lot of complaints from some bitchy actors. Oh, absolutely. And so it's, it's a tough job. You know, Not only just being a working actor, but when you're an understudy. It's a thing. It's it's tough. No, and, yeah, and I'm terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do because not believe I, that. But because I, no, but because I multi, because I'm a bit of a chameleon, I do get asked to do it a lot. But I don't, I don't have necessarily have the discipline to do all that work on my own. Like my best friend Erin Lee Peck is incredible. Like she's the, so type A. She she will just do the work and learn the things. And I mean, I was an understudy while I was doing Grinch on Broadway while at Madison Square Garden. And I would, the guy that I covered, I would bring him vitamins and orange <laughs> juice every day because all he drank was diet soda. And I thought, and fast food. And I thought you cannot get sick <laughs> because I don't know. And there's all these kids in that show, and we had one understudy rehearsal. And I'll never forget Danielle Johnson. She's like 12 years old. She's still a friend of mine now. And she looked at me during the rehearsal and just went, don't worry, you'll get it. (laughs) And I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) When the 12-year-olds come for you, you're in trouble. When the 12-year-olds come for you, that's it. Yeah. Well, Jameson... Thank you so much for having – this is just so much fun for me. It really is. This I, was my the most fun I've had not only in a long time, but as far as press for anything goes, the absolute most fun I've ever had. You're just the best. And, you know, I say that all the time because 
I love everyone that can like get out there and actually do it and and be funny while they do it. I, I should ask, season two of After Forever is currently on Amazon Prime. You guys have – it's already been announced that there will be a season three. Yay. What else is coming up for you? You know, I don't know. I made a conscious effort to step back from leaving town after I did Fully Committed because I went to my agents and I just said, look, I'm not really where I dreamed I would be. I'm, I'm about to turn 50, even though I look 30. Let's just leave it you at that. 30. And <laughs> I do, I do. Without using names, I mentioned certain actors that I thought I would be at least half as successful as, you know. And success is a very questionable word, but at least all I've ever really wanted to be was like a household name on Broadway. Do you that's know what all. I mean? I, and <laughs> that's all. <laughs> But, you know, that shouldn't be, you know, anyway. So they just said, you got to stop going away. And it's hard. And it's taken a toll on my, I was going to say libido. No, <laughs> it's taken a toll on my pride, you know, like knowing that there are people out there playing the roles that I've either auditioned for or was offered and said no to. And and just sort of waiting, which is a terrible thing to say, waiting for the phone to ring. And I, I that's, as we said much earlier in the podcast, there's, that's not how you do it, but sometimes you don't have a choice. So, you know, uh, we'll be shooting season three, and I have a great, great job here in New York that keeps me busy and keeps me financially comfortable. And so we'll see what happens. You know, I'd love to go away this summer and do a couple things if that happens. You know, we'll see how long it lasts. I mean, already I'm like looking ahead and going, oh, I kind of want to go away and do that show. Uh-huh, it's true. But it has, to be, it has to be the right thing now. You know, one of the reasons, and my agent totally understood this, one of the reasons I wanted to stay home was because I want to have a personal life. I, I, I want to meet someone and, and, and have a relationship. And, and it's hard when you're leaving town and coming back and leaving town. And yeah. It is. For decades of regional theater, I, and this is really true, seven days to the day before I left for any job, I would meet the greatest guy in yes. the world. So I stopped going out seven days before any regional <laughs> job. But um, it's hard to find someone who can handle that kind of thing. It is. You it know. Is. Trust me, I lived the exact same life. I did. And I went through the same thing. And you have to finally put your foot down and say, I'm not going to do this. And can I tell you, it worked out for me when I finally put my foot down and said, I just can't leave for another national tour because everyone forgets about me when I leave town. Yeah. But that job was a last-minute replacement in the national tour, the, the upcoming national tour and Broadway revival of Hello, Dolly! with Carol Channing. And I was the last person hired. I had just gotten my last unemployment check. And I opened backstage, which was our, the trade paper for uh, Broadway theater, for those who may not know. And there was an audition. They'd, they'd been cast for months, and they needed someone. I go in. There are 120 people there. I danced. Halfway through the whole thing, they said, well, you know, they're, they're, they're replacing so-and-so who's going into Guys and Dolls, and he was six foot two, and they'd already started the costumes. I'm like, well, I'm not six foot two. I'm not going to get this. Well, this isn't going to happen. Long story short, I end up getting the show. I went back out on, on the road, which I didn't want to do, but I, P.S., met my husband of 25 years. Yeah. I went into my first Broadway show, which led to all of my other Broadway shows, and when the show closed on Broadway, they asked me to stage the national tour, and because I'm a geek and sit in this 
rehearsal studio and pay attention, I knew what all the other choreography was. And the bottom line is it gave me the down payment for my first house, which led to the second house, which led to the third. Right. And so it was a financial thing. So you never know. Like you, No, you never know. And an actor's life changes, changes with yeah. the phone call. And, you know, the one thing I have not really done is is a long national. I've only toured I toured in Little Shop for a month. So, you know. And I did see you in a national tour beating the beast. Oh, that's right. You did yes, in did. Vegas. Yeah. Wow. That was crazy. <laughs> but, um. But yeah, no, you do have to make those decisions as an actor that, because I remember, like, all of, you, do you know who my, my friends were back then? Was Rob Ashford, Tony Award winning choreographer of Thoroughly Modern Millie, Kathleen Marshall, um, Jerry Mitchell, Andy Blankenbuehler, all of these people, <laughs> they were my friends. And I kept no. going out on national tour. And so you finally have to take your your future into your own hands and make those decisions you do well and that is the uh, that's you know a whole other thing we can talk on a whole other podcast but you know your friends are going to be the people making the decisions 20 years down the line i i I look at um at casey nicola yeah you know and and his incredible loyalty to the people that he was in the ensemble with for decades and you know i i look forward to whoever becomes my Casey Nicola, you know, I think about it all the time. I, I, I mean, I barely know Casey, but sooner or later, one of my friends will be that person. Listen, thank you so much for chatting about all this, because I think it's, it's also, beyond my pleasure. I think people come away from this with a better understanding of what it's like to be a working actor who here you are, the king of the regional theaters, and you're <laughs> on, you know, this five time Emmy award winning TV series after forever. And, I just, I, I'm so thrilled for it. I'm not surprised by your success, but I am Thank thrilled you. for it. Well, After Forever has been the gift that keeps on giving. And if nothing else, there's, I can tell you right now, there is nothing better than going to your 30th high school reunion <laughs> and people saying, so what are you up to? And I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm on a TV show on Amazon. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, the entire temperature in the room changes because, you know, they don't really care if you're in some fancy off-Broadway play. No, but if you're on TV... (laughs) Yes, all of a sudden you have made it and all the bullies are like, hey, nice to see you. (laughs) I I totally get that. I really do. Totally. Thank you so much. Unfortunately, unfortunately the bullies are still really hot, so I just put up with it. But anyway, go ahead. It's the way... (laughs) It's the way it is. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> I am I'm thrilled and so appreciative. Thank you, Randy, truly. I want to remind folks that you can follow Jameson Stern on Instagram, and I encourage you to do so, at, and this is easy, Jameson Stern. All lowercase, no space. For more information about After Forever the Series, go to another easy one, afterforevertheseries.com. You can view the series on Amazon Prime or also on BingeNetworks.tv. And that brings me to the end of this episode of The Randy Report. If you enjoy catching up on LGBTQ news in a quick podcast, I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't mind sharing it with your friends. I like to think of this as the 60 minutes of gay news, only shorter, usually. And remember, you can find me every single day on the internet at therandyreport.com, where I cover the daily news cycle in terms of politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community and its allies. I want to remind you to wash your hands a lot, practice social distancing, and take care of yourselves. Thanks for listening, folks. 
See you next time.